My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. This week, we talk with Christina Azarenko, founder of Marketing Syrup and the creator of the 45-Day SEO Challenge course. We cover her beginnings as a linguistics major in Belarus and how her job as a debt collector led her to a career in digital marketing and SEO, her career in agencies and in-house, what led her to founding her own company, and much more. With the holidays coming up, we also dive into e-commerce SEO strategy, how to handle Black Friday and Cyber Monday strategies, faceted navigation, site speed, and anything and everything to do with how to optimize your site for the holidays. And finally, we answer a handful of Twitter questions, which is going to be kind of a weekly tradition uh, from here on out. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Christina's SEO story. Hey, everybody. This is Jacob Stoops uh, with the Page 2 podcast. You're listening to episode 54. Uh, if you do not know me, I'm a senior SEO manager at Search Discovery, and we are here with Mr. Jeff Luella, technical SEO at the New York Times Wirecutter Division. How is it Hello. going, Jeff? It's going great. How's everyone going out there? I guess they can't hear me. So we still got to figure that one out, how I keep saying that. But You know, you actually <laughs> kind of remind me of, um, what is the show, Home Improvement? Because you usually yeah. say, hey, howdy, hey. hey and howdy, you're hey. like the the guy that's, uh, what is his name, Wilson from Wilson. Over the Fence. Yeah. Or Al Bo- You're a combination of Wilson and Al Borland. All right. Didn't think it. we would be going there immediately in the episode. Uh, but I will say it has come to my attention. And by come to my attention, uh, I, I definitely mean I brought it to my own attention because I discovered uh, a very similar podcast uh, to ours. And I happened to listen to their intro. And I realized how much our intro and the way that we start up episodes really, really stinks. <laughs> I'm like, we're 54 episode, episodes into this thing, and we can't seem to come up with any with anything better. Uh, and we've got new podcasts that are just so much better at introing their episodes than we are. We, we just need to have fancy radio voices. Yeah, I I learned long ago that I am... Uh, I don't, I, I don't think I've got a voice for radio. I'm not baritone enough. I was always more of a tenor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So not going to work out. Uh, either way, we tried something a little bit different there. Um, and we'll kind of keep, uh, keep trying something a little bit different. But we have a very special guest today. Uh, Christina Azarenko. Christina, how's it going? Hey everyone, and I don't have radio voice either, but <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this is going to be an amazing episode and is going to be very useful. Uh, and I'm also curious how everybody's doing, and obviously I can't hear this as well, but at least smile, and I'll know that you smile just listening to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I feel like we all, uh, especially after this, this week, I mean, it's been a stressful, a stressful year, I think for, for everybody for a number of different reasons. And 
I, for one, am so glad that the election cycle is coming to an end. Um, I don't you. care. Yeah, right, right. No, I don't care which side of the aisle you sit on. And I don't want to like talk politics or anything. But I have to say the the political commercials, the back and forth arguing between the candidates, the slow counting, the every time I log on to Facebook or Twitter, it's just so exhausting. And I am very, uh, for one, thankful that it is hopefully coming to an end, regardless of uh, uh, of who is going to ultimately be elected the, the winner, which I think by now, we've got kind of got an idea of who the winner uh, is going to ultimately be. I'm just glad for it to be over. Yeah. So here in Atlanta, we have two Senate races. Neither candidate has gotten over 50% of the vote. So we're going to have two runoff Senate races that happen January 5th. So we have two more months of, and the political ads on the Senate race were worse than the presidential ads. So oh, I have two Lord. more months of hate ads coming through for me. So um, not looking forward to that. So that was our brief uh, uh, <laughs> devolu- devolution or devolvement or evolvement uh, into, into politics. So we're going to definitely move away and we are exactly. going to talk about <laughs> anything but politics or COVID or you know, any, any of those depressing things. So hopefully we can bring a little bit of brightness to your day and a little bit of SEO uh, to your day. Uh, before we kind of get started with Christina's uh, background and her superhero origin story, superhero SEO, superhero origin story, um, we're just going to talk a little bit about um, a, a couple of things. One, if, if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, we thank you. Uh, our last last episode between podcast listens and YouTube listens broke our personal personal record uh, in terms of the number of listens. So we definitely thank everybody for listening. Uh, really excited to to continue to watch our numbers uh, continue to go up and to the to the right with respect to. Um, audience. Very, very grateful. Uh, For people that have not listened to our podcast before, kind of let me just give you uh, a 10 to 15 second second breakdown of what it is. So a lot of uh, YouTube shows, podcasts are very uh, heavy with the uh, with the knowledge, knowledge dropping and and basically saying that, hey, this is exactly how you do SEO or do this SEO thing. And as I think those of us that have been in the industry know, um, it's not always clear in every in every case and every situation is completely custom uh, and nobody knows everything. And I think what nobody really does talk about a lot are is kind of the what's what goes into that? What's underneath that? Who are the people? Where did they come from? And that's kind of what we feel like is one of the more interesting components, understanding what it's like to be an SEO day to day, the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, the origin stories. We've had some amazing origin stories, some amazing backgrounds. Um, at some point, maybe when we get to 100 episodes, I'd like to put together some sort of like an infographic or something that uh, kind of coalesces all of the common backgrounds together and visualizes it in, in, a, in a creative way. But that's what you're getting. So if you're new, welcome. Uh, hope you will enjoy the episode and hope you will become a longtime listener. So enough of me talking. Uh, Christina, 
let's talk about you. Uh, who are you and where, where did you come from? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I love the question, who I am, because I ask it a lot. <laughs> I, like, it's always great to ask yourself who you are, right? Um, so I am Christina and I'm an SEO. Uh, I've been in the SEO industry for oh, for over oh, a decade, I think, and it's been a journey. It's it's really it, it's really interesting, and I love this industry. But um, when I was thinking about who I want to become when I grow up, obviously SEO didn't even <laughs> wasn't even in the list because. I had no idea what SEO was. And actually, I think SEO didn't even exist at that point. When I was a small, a small girl thinking who I want to be, who I wanted to be uh, is a Superman. Because at that point, I didn't know that I could be a super girl. I just like, was like, I want to be a Superman. <laughs> you still can. And that fits so well. Uh, we we use origin stories as a as a joke because every uh, every superhero has this like super awesome origin story and that is one of the first times where somebody has actually related it to an actual superhero so you just made me happy (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's not like uh somebody um somebody spilled something on me on me and i became an seo or uh, (laughs) some bug bite me and i became an seo it wasn't like that it was um more i think something between the destiny and the chance so um, I was working at a company as a debt collector. Um, I wasn't the person who was going to like, who, who was talking people <laughs> and beating people. I was a person who was just calling um, and reminding uh, the co- clients of the company I used to work for to pay on time, which is, you know, not really a job you would enjoy, <laughs> but it taught me a lot actually. And I'm very grateful for the job, but Honestly, yeah, I wasn't enjoying it and I was looking for something else. And one day, I still have no idea how, but one day I found an SEO course. It was uh, an offline course program for like three months, if I'm not mistaken. And I signed up for it. Um, I didn't know what a website was. I uh, wasn't an advanced user at all. Um, but yeah, I just did it and I started the course. I was so excited. I loved it instantly. And, um, I had a few cries when <laughs> figuring out the technical part, but again, I, I just loved it. And, um, I even took some time off my then job to make sure that I have time, you know, to dedicate to learning something new. And then a few months later, I uh, landed a job at an SEO agency. Um, Yeah, so that's how my uh, hero SEO journey started. (laughs) So one question, it's it's like a combo question. (laughs) And and I think we'll get to the point where you started your own company. but your company is called Marketing Syrup, and I know you're based in Canada. So part of me wonders, is that in some way related to Canada? Because sometimes when I think of syrup, I think of, think of Canada. But then also, um, just looking at your, your background and doing a little sleuthing, uh, I don't get the sense that you're from Canada. So where are you from originally? 
Okay, uh, so sometimes people think um, think that I'm, for example, like I'm from Europe, and someone, some people say, "Oh, you must be from Russian." But if from Russia, but my accent could sound like this. You know this Russian accent. <laughs> so uh, I'm not from Russia, but I'm from Belarus, which is close, but it's a different country. And I moved to Canada less than three years ago. Uh, but Interestingly enough, all my SEO journey was connected with USA, Canada, UK, and different different points of time. Uh, fun fact that I have never worked with a Russian or Belarusian website, uh, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> but for me, uh, even if I try to look uh, at a Russian website, I just don't know where to look at. Um, if I need it, I would, but still... And I used to have an SEO blog in Russian. Uh, but when I moved to Canada about three years ago, I started just, it was just a blog, Marketing Syrup. I was actually really confused which name to choose. But as I just moved, I was like, it should be connected with Canada somehow. And Syrup, as you pointed out, is a really, a really good connection, this connection with Canada. And... Um, Instead of just being a blog, then when I started, when I went solo, it just became the name of my company because I just honestly love the name. It sometimes happens when you come up with a name, but then you hate this this name. But in my case, I'm happy that I still love this name. <laughs> so, so that was a very polite, nice Canadian answer. I, I would imagine you're also very polite as well. Yeah, I, I'd say I'm polite. You know, Belarusian people are quite, we are polite, we are good people. Nobody actually has any problems with Belarusian people. <laughs> and Jeff, quick question. I can't remember, but I don't think um, we have interviewed anybody from Canada before. Oh, Belarus. <laughs> well, yeah, much Belarus. less Belarus, uh, but definitely, yeah, definitely uh, Canada, uh, well, definitely UK, or living in Canada. Canada. Yeah, we've covered UK, we've covered Australia, of course, the US and Raleigh, which apparently is an SEO sub country in the US. <laughs> Crazy. Um, so as I'm, you know, as I'm thinking, and again, um, you know, we, we do a lot of uh, pre-research uh, ahead of these episodes. You went to school for linguistics um, and then you became a debt, a debt collector. <laughs> I guess my question is, how has linguistics prepared you for your future career in, in um, SEO? And how did you go from linguistics to debt collecting? <laughs> yeah, so it's a very interesting question. And it's, it's a life journey, you know. Um, so, yes, I was... Um, after graduating from college, I graduated as a translator from English to Russian. And the reason why I, um, why I went to this college in the first place was just because I love, love the English language. And uh, I, uh, I did a few translations. I worked, worked as a translator when I uh, was at college, um, actually. But I, for me, this is just boring, even though like I trained myself and I had so many different lessons for this. Uh, this is just something I didn't want to do. I just wanted to know the language at a really good level. Um, so that was my reason. And then I went to the university, which was actually for translator as well. 
you know, I didn't really think about my long-term plans then. <laughs> so it was for translators as well for um, uh, fiction books. But then as I found out that we were actually kind of librarians, we were trained as librarians. And I was thinking, well, actually, this is too much. This is not something that I want to do. Uh, and I just, um, I just quit the university and I had, I needed to do something. I needed to find a job quickly. And it was a very scary time for me because I'm a good student and I, you know, till then I was studying all the time and I knew how to do this, but I had no idea how to work. Uh, so I was actually looking for any kind of job that I could land. And the debt collector job was that type of job. Uh, I didn't use English there. I, um, so actually nothing from my education. Uh, but yeah, it was just, you know, type of job when you need to go from one period of your life to another. And um, the second part of the question was how linguistics helped me in SEO. And I think it's not about linguistics. Um, it's not about ling linguistics. It's more about um, knowing the English language. And that's, that's the main thing because uh, I think I write more now, I write more in English than in Russian. And obviously I work with English websites and I'm on this podcast. <laughs> so uh, I think it has helped a lot. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I definitely will not be going on any Russian speaking podcasts. So I definitely commend you. Um, <laughs> and your, <laughs> your story actually is very, um, similar to to mine uh and i i definitely don't want to come off as um belittling it in in any i in any thought way. you would say i thought you would say oh my god your story is so unique <laughs> uh well i mean it, no joking. it is it, it, it is um it is unique uh, my story was very similar where i when i was in college i you know, I was in a much different place in my life and a much different level of, in my case, maturity, uh, and just not really sure where I wanted to go directionally, not necessarily uh, with the, the right person from a personal standpoint in terms of relationships and um, not really you know, having anything I was super passionate about. Uh, I was working a really, really difficult job, partying, quite honestly, to be the most honest, partying my way through college and eventually out the door and got to a point where I needed to hit a reset uh, with my life um, and moved on from, from a lot of things. And uh, you, you know, you may not like to talk about being a debt collector. Uh, and I totally understand that because I was a pet counselor. Basically, I worked at a pet store. Uh, and, and for those people that uh, watch the show, The Office, when Dwight was uh, let go from Dunder Mifflin periodically, he became a Staples representative. I also worked at Staples. I did the same thing that Dwight Schrute <laughs> did. So I was doing both of those things at the same time. So um, it was a fortuitous path to eventually get to SEO and it happened by accident. And it happened much the same way um, that you did where you know, you know I got into it by accident. And once I did, it it's just something took over, something clicked. And you said you did not get bit by any radioactive bug, but you got bit by a bug of some sort because you caught your passion, right? And that was the, uh, that was the same thing for, for me once I got into it. 
and and realized um, that it was something I could do professionally and be passionate about. It didn't require a degree, um, which for me was obviously a, a huge plus because so many professions, uh, especially 15 years ago, required degrees. The internet was not what it is necessarily mm-hmm. now. So yeah, it became and, a good profession. And yeah, honestly, I'm so happy that I chose this profession. Obviously, when I was doing it, I didn't know that I would move to another country. I had this in plans, but I didn't know for sure. So for example, if I were a medical worker or, um, I don't know, an engineer, I would need to go through a lot of things to um, work as an engineer, for example, here. But with SEO, it's completely different. But also what I wanted to say is that I think everybody works at some jobs that they don't like, especially when they're starting or when they're resetting their lives. Uh, honestly, when maybe when you are in that particular situation, when you are in that particular period of your life, when you wake up and you actually um, don't enjoy your life, what you're doing, but this is also an important period of your life because when I go back and when I try to, when I look back at the job that I had, like this debt collector job, as I said, it taught me a lot. And I'm sure that you work as tables or uh, as a pet counselor, at least you work with pets. Pets are so cute. So maybe (laughs) your nervous system was better. So there are actually many things that you can be grateful for, even for such uh, interesting periods of your life. It, it did teach me that I will not pick up a spider. Uh, and this <laughs> is a funny story. And then we'll get on to the SEO. Um, so when you work at, at a pet store, uh, it's not just dogs and cats that you have to get out. It's giant freaking birds, giant snakes, tarantulas, fish, mm-hmm. all kinds of other things. And I kid you not, and I'm not trying to be like, um, uh, I don't even know the right the, the, the right word, but I will say the last person that I expected to call me on my fear of spiders was what I can only imagine. Uh, I can't, I don't really know her age, about 10 years old, a 10 year old girl came and asked me, and it was the first time and last time anybody asked me to get a spider out. Can I see the tarantula and can you get it out for me? Nope, I can't. (laughs) She called me uh, so quickly on my fear of spiders. And I definitely had to go. We only had like one or two people in this in that store that were willing to go get the tarantula out. And I was not one of them. And a 10 year old girl called me on it. And I have no problem (laughs) admitting that. I think think there's like a whole new podcast here. Oh, my God. I was sweating. Sweating bullets. Anyways, uh, let's get into the SEO. (laughs) So Christina, when you, you know, you're working as a debt collector and you started taking this class in SEO, what made you pick SEO over any other type of marketing, right? Like paid search or, you know, email or, or anything like that. Like, what was it about SEO that drew you in? I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. I ask right. myself this a lot, but in this course, we also um, we also learned a little bit of paid, of, I remember, Google Analytics and all this stuff. But the core was SEO, and I just remember that there were so many 
subtle and different things. And I still have this file with a list of useful resources. Uh, and I remember this, you know, going down the rabbit hole. When you open a, uh, open a post about something, and then this post has five more links to something related, and you open all of this, and each of these posts... <laughs> <laughs> has a few more related links and I opened them all. I read them all. I, tr uh, I tried, I tested and I don't know. I just felt that I found something. I found something. That's yeah. why I was doing it. <laughs> well, that's great. No, that's, that's kind of how, when I got into development um, originally, I was working, you know, no pet stores, but I worked at Best Buy <laughs> I worked at like I did work at like Bed Bath and Beyond for like a, a minute, like just jumping during retail stores during college just to help pay stuff off. Um, but I, I built websites on the side just because I, I thought I was going to be like an amazing DJ, and uh, so I built my own website there. And then I had a customer come into Best Buy and really pop up and like, oh, you, you run a business making websites? I make websites. And the next thing you know, I had a job. So that's kind of, <laughs> kind of how I got into it. It was a passion. Uh, but moving into SEO was more like of my development passion on accessibility. I really was like trying to focus on, on making sites more accessible. And um, most companies don't care about that. But SEO and accessibility are very close together, um, at least in some of the tactics. So it really did help there. Um, so I kind of, that's how I got into SEO that way and, and been in there for a little while now. Um, but so looking at SEO in, in general and, and, you know, starting off into it, what were some of like your biggest fears? Like when you jumped, you know, got out of, um, you know, your debt collecting job into that SEO job there, like what were some of your fears that you thought, um, like, this is my first SEO job. Um, I'm just learning this. And, 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 you know, when you took that job, did you have like, did you have any fears or, or did you jump in there and they took care of all that stuff and taught you? Honestly, uh, I don't remember how this graph is called. Oh my God. But you know, this graph when, uh, it shows, um, how your knowledge and, um, uh, being confident in your knowledge changes over the time. So yeah. when you're just starting, you are on top, like you are the best because you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. then you start understanding, well, there are actually many things that I, more things that I thought. So uh, to answer your question, when I just started at an agency, I had no fears. I was really, um, I was really happy you know, it was it was part of my life when I realized that I arrived to the place where I was destined to be, and no matter what happens, I'll get through. Um, so it was rather than you know always chasing something, I was just standing there, hanging out there, and realizing okay, what's going on and how I can react. So I didn't have any fears. I was enjoying, and I remember that at first I did. I did lots of uh, link building with really not nice methods, but yeah. that's that's something like when you go when you when you join an agency and you uh, you're given like okay you you do this this and this and you just do this you're a junior SEO you have you still have no idea what's going on, uh, but then when I uh, was giving um, was trusted to do SEO audits. Oh my God, I loved it. I loved it so much. And during my first year, I thought that 
I'm the best of the best of the best. It's not in terms in terms of comparison because for I think first seven years of my um, of my experience, I didn't talk to many SEOs, so and they didn't follow uh, most of the you know SEO communities, so I didn't compare myself. But it was the best of the best compared to myself. <laughs> right. Uh, sometimes that comparison that that adds up that imposter syndrome me and Jake like yeah. to talk about a lot. <laughs> it's you're like, oh wow, like I look at it, it's like Patrick Stocks. I'm like, how does he remember everything? Like I can ask him a question, he can like pull out an article out of the top of his head and there's so many great people out there. So it's awesome. Yeah. The interesting thing, and we do, we, I mean, as in Christine, I'm, you know, as you've mentioned uh, before we jumped on, you've listened for a while. So like uh, imposter syndrome is a core topic that we discuss very often and almost everybody at one point or another is, um, is impacted. So it's actually very good that you went that long without really comparing (laughs) yourself to other people, because it's really, really hard not to do. And, um, say what you will about Twitter, but I feel like Twitter is one of the main ways the SEO community talks to each other. But there's also the double-edged sword of when I log onto Twitter, that gives me the avenue to talk to people, which is great. But then it also gives me the avenue to see everything that other people are doing and publicizing that I'm not. And I'm always like, when I see it, I'm like, that's great why can't I be doing that? <laughs> why, why am I not doing that? Or why? And part of me wonders like, right. I in, you know, as you work in agencies, you know, you get assigned a certain amount of work and I'm wondering like, how did those people make that time and have the balance of the time to do the stuff that you need on social media uh, the time that that you need to do your actual client work to actually drive the results that you can then talk about on social media or wherever you want to talk about them and then balancing out a personal life. And I've not yet come up with an equation for that that works well for myself. So I do find myself um, both grateful that there's an avenue like Twitter where you can meet people that I would not have otherwise met 10 or 15 years ago, but then also constantly feeling imposter syndrome or envious to see all of the smart things that other people are doing or the amount of time that they take or that they have. And again, I don't know where, where it's pulled from, but I always find it interesting. And I will say, Christina, uh, for somebody that, like you said, not spending a lot of time, um, developing your personal brand at the beginning of your career, your personal brand right now is completely on fire. Like you are doing great things, I must say. Thank you so much. And I think that for me, it was mostly, you know, accumulating knowledge and then sharing the knowledge. And I started, I think I started more than a year ago, uh, posting something on Twitter and LinkedIn every single day. And for me, so I obviously have some, I don't know, some kind of tweaks. I don't, uh, I sometimes repost my posts or I sometimes uh, create a bunch of posts and then schedule them. Or uh, I can be working on a client, something for a client. And then I think, oh my God, I need to share this. And I just write this down so that when I have time, I'll develop this idea and share this. And I totally get what you mean in terms of imposter syndrome because again when I was living in Belarus 
um, I didn't actually follow a lot of people on, on Twitter. My Twitter looked like <laughs> looked like a collection of links to the posts that I read or kind of read. That's that was the only point, just to share a post and that's it. I didn't engage with anybody. Uh, I'm not sure, like maybe I had 200 followers or 100 followers. And uh, it, for some time, it felt really, it felt really good. When I moved to Canada, for the first, like for the first period of time, it was really hard for me because I saw so much competition. I saw so many people who are amazing and I was comparing myself and I should say that this is a journey and whenever now whenever I think oh my god this person has done this I should do like why didn't I do this and first of all everybody has these thoughts everybody and secondly then I ask myself but is it your is it your priority if somebody is posting something about Python and I like, oh my God, I want to learn Python and post something. And then I ask myself, is my is Python my priority? Is this something that I do every day that I need every day so that I can share it? And then if the answer is no, how can I compare myself to that person who does this as the main priority of their life? Like for example, Hamlet Barisi, he's amazing. Or Ruth, they share lots of, lots of different lots of stuff about um uh python or um hannah hannah uh rampton she's amazing with google sheets and i want to be like hannah but the truth is that i don't need google sheets that much uh, like to that point yet and i i um uh pref- prefer working on something which has a clear connection to what i'm doing right now and then like developing it. I did a migration. I did a really great Google Data Studio, which I'm going to share. But this is something which was born from my work with clients. It's not something that I had to just take time off and create and think. Um, so yeah, I just tend to compare. Well, first of all, I try not to compare myself. I try to compare myself with myself only. Yeah. I know everybody Everybody already hates it. Like don't compare yourself just com- uh, with others, compare yourself with yourself. But that's true. Like, that's exactly how it works. And when I think how such a, like, which long way um, I've come, I'm, I'm proud of myself. And that's, that's the main point. And I'm just happy that there are many amazing and smart people. And I'm not going to try to be like them. I'd rather be like myself. That's great. Yeah. It was a there's, coaching session. <laughs> yeah, no, and there's, and, and what's great about that is uh, there's room for everybody. And I, and when I say this, I'm admitting kind of my own thoughts and putting those out there because I know everybody is having those thoughts and it's okay. And sometimes uh, personal branding and, and Twitter and trying to build something up from the ground up as uh, I think Jeff and I have experienced building this podcast, sometimes when you do not yet have an audience, it can feel a little bit like shouting into the void and hoping somebody hears you. And when you get those first couple of reassurances, uh, it does feel really, really good. But at the same time, uh, I feel like I can't necessarily live my life waiting, uh, waiting on those things or comparing myself to other podcasts because there's enough room for 
for all of us. There's enough room for all of the smart SEO people, uh, and and there's enough seats at the there's an unlimited amount of seats at the at the table. And just because somebody else is really smart, it doesn't take away from how smart you are. It kind of reminds me of when we. Um, with my kids, sometimes when we give a compliment, I have three kids, when we give a compliment to one of my kids, the other one will say, uh, but daddy, I did this other thing too, or, but I'm not this thing, or I didn't do anything. And we have to say, uh, okay, Carter, just because we gave a compliment to Ellie, my daughter, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that you're not still good at this other, this other, and we have to remind them. And sometimes I think I have to remind my myself just because there are other smart people in this industry doesn't mean I'm not smart too. Um, yeah, anyways. exactly. And yeah. also one more thing is that even if we talk about clients, right, there are different personalities and maybe I might not work with the same clients as my, um, as other SEOs uh, prefer working with, right? So that's another thing. And one more is that um, personally, when it comes to Twitter, for example, or LinkedIn for myself, I try not to push myself. I try not to make it uh, something obligatory because I'm a very impatient person. I'm a, I'm a person of structure. And I know when I put it as my, you know, to-do list, least task I try to be very I, I start to be very impatient about that and I'm like oh my god okay how many how many likes how many followers for example I specifically don't do this at all I don't care if I for example skip one day or um, nobody likes my post I'm fine I'm okay I don't I don't care because this is not something I live for yeah. that's a that's a great outlook uh, and I, I think it is something that I, I have also practiced over time, but it is hard. Um, it's hard not to, uh, you know, once you, once you get a little, a, a little taste of, uh, some of the, the success or, uh, a small degree of getting recognized, it does, uh, become an exercise in, at least in my case of, watching like listen counts or or like counts or comments or things things like that and then actively having to pull myself away from that because it's not not important in the grand in the grand scheme of things um one question and then i want to move into kind of uh the topic of the the day um you spent a lot of time at agencies right uh what made you decide to make the jump to start your own company? So first of all, I'll correct your question because I spent a lot of time at agencies, but I'd say that um, in the span of all the time that they worked uh, before going solo, I spent more time in-house than an agent. That oh, at an agency sorry, is. apologies. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and honestly, so I now have experience from three different angles. And I love this because I know how things work from different uh, perspectives. I started and it's, I just realized that I started my uh, SEO career at an agency and I ended my um, full-time SEO career. It might not be ended forever, uh, but I mean, at this period of time as I'm working solo and my last full-time job was at an agency. Um, and yeah, 
I'd say that agency and in-house are completely different. And if I were to come back to a full-time job, I would choose um, an in-house company because there is the level of depth you can reach there that you will never reach at an agency. But at the same time, when you're just starting, for example, an agency is a perfect way to start because you are exposed to so many different types of clients and uh, things and websites that, and you learn so quick. During my first year at an agency, I feel that I learned, I don't know, 5X more than I could learn at working at an in-house company, for example. Um, Yeah, so what made me um, go solo? I think it was... Um, it was partly deciding um, an ability to decide who, who I work with, uh, specialize better, because at an agency, well, the agencies that I worked for, you usually work with all types of clients and you do everything all the time. Um, so I wanted to specialize more. And I also wanted to start uh, to have my own product to start my course because as i said like it's it's a big part of myself it's uh, it was the starting point of my a course was the starting point of my career and also i trained people when i was uh, working um full-time i trained people i trained uh, new junior seos at the agency that I worked for. And then the funny thing is that after I quit and created the course, uh, they joined my course as well, which makes me really happy. Um, but yeah, that was basically the main point to have more control over the clients I work with and have my product as well. And you just touched on, and I, I know I said I wanted to move on. Uh, I want to make sure I don't um, forget to mention this. You have got a 45-day SEO challenge course that I think, uh, if I remember right, you're kind of right in the in the middle of kind of your current cohort. Is that right? Yeah. So what, explain to the audience kind of what is, what is that? What went into it? Why did yeah. you start it? What do people get out of it? Just give it a nice big plug. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, it was originally actually a 30-day SEO challenge. Now it's 45 because I realized that I want to give people more time to go over the course. And um, the problem, when I was creating the course, the problem that I was solving is that um, in most of the cases, we buy courses, on-demand courses, and we never start or never finish them. And that's that's a huge thing. And I myself uh, have some courses like that. And I feel that um, when I just buy something and then I'm left with like my thoughts and my questions, first of all, and also um, when I was going through my first SEO course, I also didn't have anybody as I was starting. I didn't have anybody to, uh, to ask questions because we had different teachers all the time. Uh, I found that, first of all, I want people to finish. And secondly, I want them to have some place where they might not only be able to, you know, watch videos, but also um, practice and also ask questions. So that's why my course is a combination of on-demand training and also uh, support. So it has, uh, the current cohort has a Slack group and we have live calls. And at some point I was thinking, okay, like maybe having live calls would be uh, too expensive from the business point of view, but I just couldn't 
I couldn't leave them out because this is my favorite part of um, the challenge. And I know people get lots of value from it. The show up rate is really high. And uh, I really love when people, first of all, how it usually goes, first of all, people are shy. They don't have questions, but then but then they have more and more questions and you think, oh, okay, the live call is, already, is almost over and we are still there having fun. So I really love it. And um, the people just get the knowledge and support that they need to either start their SEO career or just make sure to fill in the gaps because many of us are just self-starters, self-learners. And yeah. sometimes it's great to see how other people are doing this. Even if you, for example, keyword research, if you've done keyword research for many, for many years and you've been using tools, specific tools, and then you see how other people think, this really helps a lot. Yeah, it's interesting. That's one of the, I don't go to many conferences, but I think I like when I go to conferences, I just enjoy learning other people's processes. I think yeah. I have you know a good knowledge of what needs to be done, but then you you see someone pull up a slide and they use a different tool than you used or or a different process to get those results, and you're like, oh, I, I just like learning that a lot more. And I think I get more out of that out of conferences we I go to is just like learning new tool sets, new ways people do things. Because uh, at the yeah. end of the day, we have the same idea. Like, wait, wait, we're, yeah, we're trying exactly. to rank websites, but it's just the different processes there, yeah. Exactly. Awesome. So uh, let's jump into some of the topic. I, I know that you are um, focused a lot on e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you, or what do you enjoy most about e-commerce SEO compared to any other type of SEO? Um, I'd say that <clears throat> uh, the first, the first reason why I decided to um, to go into e-commerce SEO specifically is um, it actually started when I was working in house uh, before moving even moving to Canada. I was working for a company which developed Magento extensions, and Magento is, a, is an e-commerce platform. So I worked. Uh, I worked with an e-commerce website helping helping other e-commerce websites. So kind of recursion here. Um, and I really loved one thing, which is an easy way to track how much money <laughs> each traffic, traffic source brought. Yep. And at that time, I was also doing Google Ads. Uh, I did Google Ads full-time for about a year. <clears throat> I had actually more than 1,000% ROI, which I loved as well, uh, because again, it's easy to see how much money you spend, how much money you get when it comes to e-commerce. The cycle is not is not so extensive, not six months or a year. So I loved it. And also then I realized that things come just, just got naturally to me, natural to me. Uh, I loved, I always loved, dealing with duplicate content, for example, and e-commerce websites are a good <laughs> a good field to practice doing all of this. And I believe that like technical SEO is also more, um, I wouldn't say that only e-commerce websites have technical issues because that is not true, but um, e-commerce and e-commerce type websites, they are more challenging than most yeah. other types of websites. Yeah, there's a lot of times you just have 
way more pages, right? Like <laughs> you'll have like 10,000 products and then, but you might have 10,000 pages before those 10,000 products, depending on all your filtering. Um, I'm also like an e-commerce SEO kind of guy. I mean, from the technical standpoint, um, as you mentioned, there's just ton- not that any other site doesn't have technical SEO problems, but mm-hmm. e-commerce tends to have them the most. And and I've worked with some clients where like we did nothing on the content side, nothing on the outreach side and just fixed technical stuff and, you know, saw 10x gains on that. And, and it was just amazing to see stuff like that. Yeah, so, exactly. So here's what I like about e-commerce. Um and e-commerce is a different, it's almost like a subspecies of mm-hmm. SEO. And there are many, many um, other things. And there are things I dislike that I think are incredibly challenging about e-commerce. But uh, like you were saying, uh, Christina, what I like both when you're working with a client and before you're working with a client with e-commerce, uh, the revenue implications, which are sometimes in other industries, really hard to understand. Uh, especially if they have problems with, for example, and this is not uncommon, the way that they set up goal tracking and Google Analytics for other types of sites, which makes conversion tracking really unclear in many cases, and more um, more clients than not have issues with their with their goal tracking setup. Uh, but on e-commerce pretty clear from uh, the, the money coming in, the money going, uh, the money going out. Uh, so that is really, really nice. Uh, there's almost no way to get that wrong with modern analytics, Google analytics. Um, Except if you have duplicate conversions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is that, there is that. Um, I feel like that's, um, that's more, more rare on the, uh, on the sales side, and if you're an SEO, sales is a part of the process, uh, and I am not a good salesman. I suck as a salesman. That being said, one of the best ways uh, and best types of opportunities you can get is with an e-commerce website, especially if the person that you're working with is willing to give you kind of a peek at their analytics. It becomes very easy, especially if you have... um, a lot of case studies and a lot of precedents for the types of gains that you normally see when you work with an e-commerce website. And especially if you're able to do a little uh, flyover of some of their issues, because e-commerce issues, um, the types of issues are tend to be similar. Um, it's It becomes a much easier exercise when you're trying to figure out, okay, if you work with me, what's the what's the ROI likely to likely to be right uh, how much money do you have to make in order to make back what you're going to pay pay me a uh, lot easier to calculate and with other clients um, other types of clients it's a lot less easy uh, both after and in some cases before when you're trying to get them to um, to invest money to invest in organic search um, I know my answer with respect to e-commerce, but what do you guys feel like is the single most challenging aspect of e-commerce? In SEO specifically, I should say, e-commerce <laughs> SEO. Mm, I think in general, in SEO is implementation uh, because um, but I find I was actually I was actually uh, talking about that with my uh, hubby the other day. He's a designer, and in design, the challenge is that everybody is a designer, 
and everybody will tell you, oh, make it make this line thicker or another color or something like that. In SEO, you don't usually you don't usually face this. Your client wouldn't tell you, oh, I don't want this canonical. I want this. Uh, I, w- I want another canonical. You don't usually see this. But the, the um, on the flip side, it's actually hard to explain why you need things to be done this way. And I find that um, I spend much more time docu- uh, documenting and writing stuff. The, writing stuff and acceptance criteria than actually um than actually i don't know thinking about that how how to how to implement i'm i can look at the website and think oh my god this makes so much sense sense they need to do this this and then i spend two hours documenting all of this to make sure that i communicate this properly um so i guess yes it's more mostly i'm not going into like real technical problems it's more about communication as well and over communication with the client jeff what are your thoughts you know i think besides implementation is always hard right that's that is one thing that is um if you you know have a good relationship with some of the developers that might make it a little easier but it's definitely really hard but i think even when you have everything in play it all depends on what you sell Right. It's like some of that stuff is like if it's eBay, Amazon and all the big guys are selling the same things, you have a lot of you're going to have a lot of trouble like beating them on, you know, rankings there. Uh, so it all like I think, you know, not that's not even SEO at that point where it's just like, what are you actually selling? Uh, but when it comes to the SEO side of thing, yeah, it's definitely um, I think the middle ground, like the uh, faceted navigations from like between like a category page and your land and your, your product page. Like it, if you have a site with 10 million products, like it's just like, how do you get Google to those 10 million products is a tough, you know, tough thing. And 10 million is a lot, right? I mean, I think most, a lot of e-commerce sites are around a hundred thousand products and it's still very hard to get from homepage to all the products and get them all indexed um because google will take what they want right from that and and um, the idea is like how do you get them that deep into the site and and it's interesting something like at the new york times um like Wirecutter, we're not that big of a site so we're great but the new york times in general has like billions of pages they have every every article ever written from like 1862 on their website how do you wow. get google to any of those <laughs> right yeah and they used to have this amazing site map which i'd always recommend to people but uh, i think it broke so i'm not going to recommend it right now <laughs> but once they fix that it, it, it's like a site map that goes three clicks from the beginning all the way to 1862 you can get to any article let me tell you that is uh thinking about that volume of content is honestly like making me sweat. <laughs> yeah. And when I hear 1882, I, uh, like I just, I just can't help. I imagine the person in 1882, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, p- well, publishing something on the website. It, it is super <laughs> interesting. Like, um, like I, I'll the, the site map they have, which is broken, still kind of works. It's called uh, Spider Bytes. So if you look at Spider Bytes, it's spiderbytes.newyorktimes.com. And um, literally, like, it's so fun reading articles from the 1800s and, like, early 1900s because they're, one, just the language is different. Um, but, like, mm. what the problems of the day were way different. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, there was a lot of... Um, 
it, it, it's super interesting to read them. And, and since I've started working the New York times, I've gone through a lot and just like read some of those. And most of them are just like OCR screened in content. So mm-hmm. like, or scanned in content. So it's not as, um, it's not really clear the text and stuff. So some of it you might have to like go through and read, but they, they, they can search. They're all searchable. Um, you know, using OCR to, to read the content on it, it's all searchable, which is um, kind of a different type of search, you know, it's internal search, which is, is a whole nother brand of search. <laughs> um, I'm just, sure. I'm just so curious if uh, these really old, <laughs> not old last year, but old nine, eight, eight, yeah. nine, uh, 1882, if these posts actually like visited from Google. <laughs> Um, so we use oh, Botify. Which query is it so, so yeah. interesting? So we, we use Botify on our site and and they go hook it up to the log uh-huh. files. And I will say it's not as much traffic going to those as you think. I think it is more of just a a flex. Um, yeah. What we have, like what we have. So Fresh content, right? Oh, yeah. need to do. That's more evergreen, but. <laughs> I was like going to say. Really, that's older than evergreen, I think. <laughs> Yeah, Jeff, you totally you totally stole my thunder. That is way more interesting than what I was gonna I was gonna say. I was just gonna say, like, for me, the biggest challenge with e-commerce is faceted navigation. That's like the bane of my existence yeah. when I'm working with an e-commerce site and they've got all kinds of facets down the left rail, all kinds of filtering options, and each one of those filtering options creates a new URL or a um, parameterized URL, and they're not blocked or no indexed and trying to figure out, okay, for this category, which one of these facets do people actually search for? Which one needs to stay open to crawling? Which one needs to stay not open to crawling? Uh, All two facet or three facet or four facet, how many facet versions, and it depends on the website, need to be blocked because there's a point of diminishing return and uh, crawlers can't cut through it because for big e-commerce sites like especially the really big ones, probably like New York Times, crawl budget, it's a real thing. For smaller mm-hmm. e-commerce sites, not, you know, not so much. But that's um, one of the bigger challenges that, that I feel like I deal with. Uh, one of my favorite challenges to deal with on e-commerce sites, uh, because they are usually pretty templatized, but again, it's a challenge of implementation more so than it is proving out the uh, the potential value because you've got nice revenue figures to work with would be site speed. Uh, the most underrated technical SEO thing, almost every site I ever work with gets it not just wrong, but like way wrong. Everybody knows the value. There are so many case stories to prove the value with an e-commerce site. It should be a lot easier to push through the system because you've got nice product templates. You've got nice category templates. You've got a uh, a homepage, and usually, usually your site is segmented into a handful of five or less, maybe a few more core templates. So you would think working on site speed is actually easier, or it should be easier. But I still find that even though, like, you can prove out the value of that one a lot more easily than you can, uh, say, like, adding alt text uh, to an image. People right. always ask. Uh, how much is this minute detail going to get me in terms of money? And it's hard to answer, but with site speed, you can answer, you can answer that, uh, yeah. you know, with pretty finite data and Google it's still just as hard yeah. to push through, <laughs> push through yeah. development teams. Yeah. But it's also like, it's becoming more of a thing. And I believe it's um, when, when Google 
when Google pushes things, it pushes them hardly and hard. I mean, so uh, and with the site speed, it's one of the things that Google pushes. So um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be easier. I hope so. Okay. But uh, going back to facet navigation, Jacob, when you were talking about, oh, you find like this filter and it appends a parameter and then you think, and I, I was thinking, oh my God, this is my favorite part. I'm, I love structure and I'm all about, you know, documenting and figuring things out. And I remember I had a client and I, I remember I checked how many pages they were, they had an index and I was really surprised because they had, um, I think 20 times more than I would expect because the website was pretty small. Um, and I, as it turned out, 19, 90% or, or even more of the pages in the index were actually filters and sorting options and all this stuff. So it was really interesting, challenging, but really interesting to get rid of all of this yeah. thing. Be yeah, <laughs> because the like index. the crazy thing, like when developers for the most part are programming sites to work in the way that the facets, when you select them, build on the URLs, what they often forget is that when you select a search engine is going to go through and and also to some degree especially if the if the selectors are themselves links mm -hmm. that's an infinite amount of combinations do the math yeah. if you've got uh 10 or 12 or 15 different potential selectors imagine selecting those in every different possible combination way yeah. uh, that you can and well, there's a bunch of URLs that are complete duplicates that are now going into the index if you don't shut them off. Yeah. Uh, and by shut them off, I mean put a no index tag on them or stop crawling so that they don't waste your crawl budget unnecessarily. Uh, so instead of having one or two or three kind of versions of a category page, uh, guess what? You've now got a hundred or a thousand or what, you know, however many multiply, do the math. Uh, and that is a big problem from a, from a technical SEO standpoint, which you like it. For me, it stresses me, <laughs> it stresses me out, uh, especially if it's already out there in the index, kind of pulling it back and getting them to add the tags in the right place and then waiting for the pages in the index to get down low enough to where you can block them and ugh, ugh, oh, me I actually, I actually remember one, um, one thing that happened to me when I was working at my first, at the, at the agency, at my first job. And I think that's how I, that's when I realized that I want to be on more, on more technical side. Uh, it was in the commerce store. It was actually a UK website, which was selling gifts. Uh, it was an amazing website, really like the best type of client you can think about, right? Selling gifts. <laughs> so um, I remember that uh, I recommended adding canonical tags to to some of the categories and they were implemented and I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for them to take to take some action uh, for canonicals to work. And then I went to the source code and I realized that instead of href, uh, can well canonical, they had hfer canonical. So basically just a typo, but with that typo, <laughs> <laughs> no canonicals will work. That's so, yeah, yeah. And I realized it and I 
first of all, I was really proud of myself that I noticed it. And secondly, I was like, oh my God, I know what's going on. Let's do this the right way. And then the canonicals worked within, I think, a few days. Yeah, that's cool. So we're coming up on holiday season now. Uh, <laughs> Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, what are some things you do to a website that gears you up, like gears an e-commerce site up for the big holiday push? So first of all, I always, always, always recommend clients have evergreen seasonal pages and they work every time. I mean, I once had a client um, and uh, they created, it was actually last year or two years ago, and they created a page for Christmas, uh, Christmas stockings. And I was really curious because they also sold gifts. And I was really curious why didn't they have any page, any seasonal page for Christmas? And they said that their previous agency recommended them removing uh, seasonal pages all the time and recreating them. I was so confused. (laughs) And um, yeah, so one of the things is that having seasonal pages all the time and when the time comes, for example, uh, when Christmas comes, you just pull this page and you link it from uh, the most important, part, important, important parts of your website. You put it in the main navigation, you put it in the header of your website, and you actually make sure that people can see it. And it's great when you have this page uh, evergreen without any year indication in the URL. That means evergreen. Um, is that it acquires all the, um, all the authority over the time and then when the time comes, your page is stronger than uh, it would be if you just created a new page. So this is yeah. one of the things that I always, 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 always recommend um, my clients doing. And another thing, uh, it's actually something that I uh, sent in my uh, e-commerce newsletter. And it's not entirely but about SEO, but I find that it's really interesting. So um, there are open graph images when you can see when somebody is sharing uh, your URL on Twitter, LinkedIn, even on Slack. Um, And there are images that are pulled up and people can see them. So um, what I've seen a few companies doing and what I've done myself is changing these images depending on the season. So if it's, if you, especially if you have some uh, seasonal uh, sales, make sure to put the information there because when somebody shares this link, all people will see it. And this is more enticing than just saying the name of your store or just having some general uh, general image. It's not, as I said, it's not uh, entirely about SEO, but I consider myself, even though I'm an SEO fan, (laughs) but I consider myself more a person of like with, um, with, higher bird's eye view because my aim is to make sure that um, my client gets sales, sales, not just have the right colonicals, if it makes sense. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah. that's why some of the things are not purely SEO. Yeah. Your marketing syrup, not SEO syrup. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was actually <laughs> the point. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have just SEO there. And fun fact that when I started, I also did Facebook ads. I, I did Google ads and I have a few, few posts, which is still quite popular about Facebook ads and Google ads, even though I don't, don't do them anymore. I don't post about this, but yeah, it's marketing, not SEO syrup. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this year holiday season is going to be a little different. We like with COVID 
and um, a lot of a lot more people I you know are shopping online. I mean, every year more and more people are shopping online, but I believe this year will be like a huge jump um, from last year. Um, what are I mean, are there anything that differently that you're doing, um, you know, on site about that? Uh, like, are you promoting it a little differently or, or, you know, is it just really, you know, just promoting it as an e-commerce store? I, I just know a lot of retail stores um, such like Walmart and, and things like are really downplaying their Black Friday sales um, in store. And they're going to be pushing a lot more online. Um, because they don't want to have 10,000 people running around their store also. So, cause they're, you know, a lot of stores are still running at minimal, you know, 30% occupancy or 40% occupancy. Um, not here in Georgia. Cause we, um, in, <laughs> we kind of don't think Corona exists in our, in our country, in our state. <laughs> no, it's, we, we were like the first state to open everything back up and, mm-hmm. and um, which is, you know, borderline on the political side of things. But at the same time, I know there's a lot of other states that are still, you know, and I'm sure in Canada too, like not at 100% occupancy. So what are some things we do on the website to to kind of maybe push people towards the website instead of going inside the stores? Yeah. Um, so one of the things, so first of all, get the, the foundation right. As I said, like make sure that people can actually see on the on your website and each page of the website that you are having seasonal, not only on the homepage, but also in other categories that you're having seasonal offers. And secondly, uh, which will really help to push orders online versus offline is having special online offers. Uh, because if a person can, first of all, uh, save more money, be more... Um, I don't know, be more uh, secure when they just stay at home without going somewhere with, with crowds of people, what usually happens during the holiday season. Um, yeah, and if you make it easier for them to buy online, more enticing, they will prefer buying online. And also um, making sure that the shipping options are in place and they are good enough for people to, you know, because people are impatient. I can either go somewhere and buy something within a, within a few hours, but I don't want to wait for 14 days to to get a notebook delivered to me, right? So this is not a thing. But in general, clearly communicating and showing special offers for online purchases will go a long way. And I'd say more promotion than you would have usually because, um, first of all, there is so much more competition this year. Yeah. And secondly, this is this is like the bad news that the competition is higher, but the good news is that more eyeballs are on online content yep. because yeah. people are browsing all that time. So more promotion. Yeah, yeah to hit on a couple of points, um, friction, reduce friction. Uh, And that doesn't just mean on the front end, it means all the way through the process, through your marketing, make it easier for people to go online, reduce friction in their shopping cart, right? Uh, There's a lot of uh, companies out there whose shopping cart is less than ideal. And we are, I know most companies are not far away from getting to code freeze through the end of the year. If you are not focused on making your shopping cart uh, uh, frictionless, 
And, and not only that, but testing users and measuring where they drop out at, you're going to be throwing money out the door. Um, shipping, you, you did mention shipping. There is something yeah. you can do on the technical SEO side to make your customers more aware of shipping, uh, and that is structured data. So Google, Google more recently has really emphasized uh, the shipping options uh, so that they can then take those and put those in search results. So I would highly recommend doing that, even if you're shipping uh, options. Some companies, they're, they don't have free shipping. There's a delay. There's a delay on merchandise. I will say, in my experience, there have been some companies, especially when they're um, you know, when their merchandise is running low or their shipping times are long, they are apprehensive to be forward facing about mm-hmm. that shipping for fear or putting that in search results for fear of turning people away uh, from a click. Uh, but I would say like, look, if somebody, if you put your shipping offers out there and you're honest with your customers or with potential users and you do have a long shipping time, at least they'll know as opposed to getting to your website, figuring out that the shipping times are low. Great. You got to click, but you weren't going to get those people anyways. Uh, You know, when it comes to buying, if they have a problem with long shipping times, right? So if you're a developer, if you're a marketing person, you're probably close to code freeze, but you're not there yet. These are a couple of things that you can do to clearly communicate uh, with your customers. I would suggest looking at those things. Yeah. Um, And one more thing that you just remembered is um, also making sure that when people use search on the website, they arrive, like, first of all, they see the right products. And secondly, they actually arrive. Uh, They can they can either just see uh, relevant products or arrive at a dedicated page, landing page for these products. For example, if somebody is looking for Christmas, you might not have a product which is called Christmas. So uh, your uh, default page might show zero products found, but you might have a page which is dedicated, like you should have a page which is dedicated to Christmas. Make sure that these pages shown instead. Uh, these are small things, but they really matter. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we are getting close to, to closing the show. And we've started uh, this new little thing where we take questions from uh, Twitter. And this week we have two. Uh, so the uh, and we're going to pick a winner. Last time we almost forgot to pick a winner. We're not going to mess that up this time. We did get a winner. Uh, thank God. That would have been embarrassing. Uh First question from at Maria underscore discovery. So Maria Sereda asked, uh, can Christina share her planning tips? Does she have a plan for a month, a year, five years? She's involved in so many activities. Which tools does she use to control the fulfillment of plans? My planning needs refinement for sure. Uh, Oh, yeah. So apparently when I copy this from Twitter, it actually takes uh, the words. So it says smiling face with open <laughs> with <laughs> open mouth. And that's actually an emoji that somebody typed. Uh, I, I would appre- yeah, I would appreciate her advice a lot. That one threw me. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay, so <laughs> planning tips. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think I mentioned that I'm a person of, a stru- of structure. So of course, I have planning. Uh, I, I plan many things. I don't have, you know, two long-term plans, five-year, 10-year plan, because obviously 10 years, 
10 years ago, I didn't know what, what was going to happen. But um, I have a plan for a month with, um, with the things that I want to accomplish and with main uh, focus for this month. And this includes, uh, my plan usually includes um, uh, the client work, client acquisition, my own pro- products, and also um, something that I do for the community, for example, writing a post or being on a webinar or being on Pitch the Podcast. This is going, uh, this is also uh, in my list. And um, I have a, a list for a month. I have a list for a week because it, it, it helps me to see what's coming up, what I need to do. And I'm okay with changing this a little bit when new things come up. And I have 100%, I have list for every single day because I physically can't wake up and start working if I don't know what to do. Because uh, if I do, if I know that I need to do 10 different things, they tend to be, um, um, they, they, in my mind, they, t- they tend to happen at the same time. And when they happen at the same time, you're just procrastinating. Um, that's why I have a list for uh, all things that I need to do today, for example. And I also use uh, Google Calendar to block off the times. And um, I sometimes I used to use like paper planners. I just switch different methods from time to time. Uh, because I find that it like when you have something new, it works better versus when you just get used to uh, one way of doing something. Um, so yeah, just planning. Uh, and if I have new ideas, I try to just write them down uh, and act on them later. Um, yeah, but I just I just start with planning a month, a week, and a day with different priorities. It's okay to push something uh, to another day unless it's it's a really high priority. And I usually st- try to start with um, more important tasks, which is really tricky. Sometimes your mind is just like, I start with some easy tasks so that I can tick this off and like it's done for the day. Uh, but I try to start with a more important task. Okay, so question number two at Mark Alvis, you've taught a lot of aspiring SEOs through your SEO challenge program. What have your students taught you about SEO in the process? For example, through their questions as an outsider or the questions they ask? Yeah, it's uh, it's really great question. So um, I think um, one of the things is that when you teach something, somebody is still go um go from yourself right from the way how you perceive things and then when you um have the feedback from people you understand oh okay so i can i can do this better i can cover this in a different way or um what i find that sometimes it's honestly it can be hard to relate to people who are just starting uh because you might think oh this is common sense but it's not and that's okay Nobody, like, people don't have to know everything, especially when they're just starting. So it gives me a better perspective or a better way of, for example, explaining uh, something or um, a new use case. Uh, This is helpful as well. And I also, in our Slack group, I have 
um, have a channel for tools. And there are some tools that people share. I didn't know about these tools. So that's that's really amazing. And obviously nobody can know all the possible tools. So <laughs> I find this really great when people share this as well. And another thing which is really, really important for me is that um, I learned not to directly try to help people all the time. Because if I answer a question, there are different types of questions, but if I answer a question directly, uh, people might not understand what's, they might not apply this knowledge in the future. But if I ask questions, which will direct them to the answer, it actually happened yesterday uh, in the group. Somebody asked like, what's, what should I do with this page? And that page was um, a 404 page, but it, it was returning uh, 20, 100 HTTP status code. Um, and it was linked from somewhere. And I said, like, first of all, yes, it's, it's great that you found that it's linked from somewhere, but what else is wrong with this page? Because if I just said this page returns the wrong uh, HTTP status code, okay, they will understand that this, this particular page returns the, the wrong code, but they won't think to look at this next time. So I think having a two-way conversation is the biggest learning for me. Kind of sounds like uh, when John Mueller hangs it up, maybe they should should call you. It seems like you're you're starting to practice answering without answering. I like it. <laughs> no, it's not answering without answering. No, I know, I, I know. <laughs> it's just making sure sure that people come up to the answer and it doesn't happen all the time sometimes it just makes sense to answer teaching how to fish as opposed to catching the fish for them yeah exactly exactly so based on those two questions uh who should get the sticker should i decide yeah sure (laughs) um uh, I don't know. I like both questions, but I would give the secret to the second question. All right. So, Mark, you are the proud new owner of a Page Two podcast sticker, as Jeff is holding up. We do have blue, uh, green, and a shade of light red, pink. Uh, yeah, we've got three amazing colors. So we will be getting in touch to send you your sticker to begin repping nice. our podcast uh so jeff do do you want do you want to ask the last question and then it's it's time to go we're at time we're over time (laughs) so christine if you were getting into seo today what advice would you give to or what advice would you give to someone who is getting into seo today um okay so first of all um i think i'd try to understand what i need to learn uh, if I try to get into SEO, I'm just trying to think if I were getting, for example, into development, I would have no idea uh, what to do, for example. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I would need to understand which skills do I need uh, to become a good SEO. And um, secondly, I, I would recommend people not to be intimidated uh, by all the knowledge that they need to acquire and by all the people in the industry. That's okay to start. And I actually, uh, at some point, I had an article about SEO misconceptions that um, different 
SEO gurus, current SEO gurus had when they were just starting. And trust me, everybody got something wrong. Uh, so that's okay to be wrong. That's okay to experiment. And one thing that I recommend as well is start sharing if you feel like it. If you feel like, um, if you feel like helping people, if you have time for this, start sharing what you learn because you will find you will find your audience. You will find people who will uh, will find it uh, really useful. Great. Yep. Excellent answers. Uh, Christina, thank you so much for coming on our humble little podcast. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah. So uh, my website is Marketing Syrup. You hear this for the first time. <laughs> uh, I'm also um, really active on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Azarchik, uh, CK at the end. And uh, on LinkedIn as well, Christina Zarenko. And I also mentioned uh, SEO skills. So uh, a little plug here. I have a list of 23 core SEO skills and they are free to download at seochallenge.co. Uh, co. Uh, you can do this as well. And I'm pretty sure if you if you reach out to me on any of these uh, platforms, I'll be happy to answer your questions or to help okay. you out if you're just starting. And if you visit her website, you better be eating pancakes while you're doing it. So <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, that was my cheap dad joke. And I think that that's a great cue to... Uh, <laughs> to end the, uh, end the episode yeah. and cut it into the, the weekend for us. You're, you will be listening as the audience to this on Monday. Uh, as I said, again, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much, uh, Christina, for coming on. It was another great episode. Thank you a lot. Thank you, thank Jacob. You. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you everybody who's listening to it. And great job if you've done it so far till the end. Just pat yourself on the shoulder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we forgot our whole like and subscribe. Oh, yes. We are. Yes, we are yes. on YouTube. We got to start doing that at the beginning. I, 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 That's exactly what I said. We totally <laughs> suck at the intro. So we're on YouTube now. You can see our pretty faces. Like, subscribe, hit the little bell so you're notified. Yep. Uh, my daughter and son <laughs> who love YouTube would be way better at this. Maybe we'll just bring them in for or the next episode to do the promo. Rate us on any of your podcasting apps. Yeah rate us please all right everybody uh have a good in our case weekend have a good week while you're listening to this uh thank you and goodbye hey bye thank you so much for listening to the page two podcast if you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to new episodes visit us at page two podcast.fm that's page the number two podcast.fm our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, you can also listen and watch our show on our YouTube channel or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with us, contact us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time... Happy optimizing.